I'm Tavis Smiley, and I'm smiling. Of course, I don't have any choice, right, with that, that last name. I'm always smiling, at least I attempt to. Love that track from Kirk Franklin, and uh, I'm delighted to have you in with us in this hour today. And in this hour, a conversation with Dr. Otis Moss III about his new text just out, literally dropped yesterday. It's called Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. Once again, it is midnight in America, a dark time of division and anxiety with threats of violence looming in the shadows, if not right in front of our faces. Dancing in the Darkness is a life-affirming guide to the practical, political, and spiritual challenges of our day. And I am delighted. As you know, I said it earlier in today's program, I'm a huge fan of his father, who is a legend in his own time, having worked alongside Dr. King, Otis Moss Jr., who I have known for many years and uh, had a chance to sit and listen to any number of times. He was pastoring Olivet in Cleveland, and his son is a bad man, Otis Moss III, pastors Trinity uh, in Chicago, the church once pastored by Jeremiah Wright. And I am delighted once again, and uh, as I always am, to be in dialogue with our friend and brother, uh, the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III. Otis Moss III, Happy New Year, my friend. How are you, sir? Happy New Year, Brother Tavis. It is a delight to be on the show and speak with you this new year. It's a delight to have you on, and thank you for the book. Um, I, I got this thing, man, and couldn't put it down. Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in thank you. Uh, in Turbulent Times. There's, there's, there's so much in here, and... Um, I think I think I want to start with this. It's hard to know where to start, but I I was I was um, I was uh, I'm trying to find the right word here. I was moved uh, and just really um, just uh, I couldn't get enough of the persons, the sources uh, that you drew on, uh, drew up on, I should say, to to write the text. And so when you when you're calling on King and you're calling on Howard Thurman, it's hard to write a bad book, I guess. Uh, but 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 tell me about how those persons, and I'll ask in a moment how we get to the book. There's a great story about your daughter, of course, which we'll get to in a second. But as 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 resources, talk to me about what one uh, what one opens himself up to or herself up to when you look into King and Thurman as sources for your text. You know, I'm so glad that you, you asked that. They truly are sages, ancestors, mentors, and teachers. And growing up in the household uh, with my mother and father, uh, who know, knew both of them mm-hmm. quite well, mm-hmm. uh, when you read Thurman, he readjusts your mind mm. and your heart. And when you delve into King, he challenges everything you believe. And when you put these two great men together, uh, they force you to cast out any Americanized white evangelical remnants (laughs) that may be in your theology and viewing of the world that you may rest in a beautiful black spiritual spirituality where love and justice is center and Jesus is elevated. Mm. When you say the king in particular challenges everything that you believe, um, talk to me about why you think it is so difficult. The book is called Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. Uh, the author of that book is Otis Moss III. The book just dropped yesterday. You can pick it up right now, as I have. 
wherever you get your books, wherever fine books are sold, this book is available right now. Once again, it's called Dancing in the Darkness, and I look forward to the rest of this hour uh, as we delve into what's inside the book. Let me just start with this, uh, Otis, uh, Reverend Moss, Dr. Moss, since you raised this issue earlier uh, about this, uh, this linking, this combining uh, of love and justice as a way to practice spiritual resistance. Unpack that for me. Well, one of the problems in, in a, disengage love from justice and justice from love. Uh, I learned years ago, and I heard my father say, I said, love, with, uh, love without justice is just sentimentality, and justice without love becomes brutality. Mm. But when the two get married, they produce children, one by the name of liberation and the other by the name of transformation. Mm. That when we make the decision to live by these values, we begin to punch holes literally in the darkness. Mm. That notion of justice, though, uh, and for that matter, the notion of love, I'll I'll let you unpack both of these. Mm -hmm. That notion of justice and love, though, is so, um, I was going to say watered down. It's more than just watered down. I I, I don't know Mm -hmm. that in, in this present moment, that we have an operational definition of love and certainly not of justice. That one's all over the map. Talk to me. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's part of the problem about uh, the, uh, the American project is that the, the, the American project wants sentimentality. It wants this kind of media based love, this sappy kind of love. Whereas if you look in the Greek sense, the, the love that Jesus is talking about is agape love, the kind of love that God has uh, for God's people. If you look in South Africa, the, the term can be utilized as Desmond Tutu talked about it, Ubuntu, that my humanity is connected to your humanity. Mm-hmm. Within the Yoruba tradition, you cannot love because love is connected to community. So if there's no respect, if there's no reciprocity, there's no compassion, and there's no accountability, love cannot be present. But in America, we have this one term, and we always think of it in terms of something physical, I'm going to make love to somebody, or sentimental, when in actuality it is spiritual, and it demands that we attempt to flourish as human beings. The one word that all poets and people who are writers of of great literature, we have been struggling to deal with this idea of love down through the ages. And so we have to reclaim it, and a strong and, um, I should say, uh, very uh, earthy sense of love, one that demands uh, that we grow beyond. I like the way the Thurman puts it. God places a crown above our heads we will spend the rest of our lives growing tall enough to wear. Mm. And if we stretch each day, we'll be taller, but we still won't wear the crown. And that's what love does. It demands that you're better, but you still are not going to be where you need to be. It's, it's like the great coach of our lives. And America doesn't like love and is afraid of the concept of love because it will force America to change its ways. Mm. 
since we're talking about this notion of linking love and justice, and that is one of the first chapters in your book uh, called Link, Love, and Justice. Let me stay with this just for a second because you, now you got, my, you got my mind working now, brother. Um, and I'm thinking about this notion of love. Um, while you were talking, it came back to my mind that some years ago I gave uh, a public talk gave a speech, and the speech was centered, uh, centered around, Dr. Moss, this notion of this question I, I, I posed uh, to the audience, whatever happened to the notion of love in our public discourse? Whatever happened mm-hmm. to the notion of love in our public discourse? Put another way, whatever happened to the notion of love in the public square? And what I love about your book is that you are one of those persons who are bold enough to put love back into the center of the public discourse, Love back in the center of the public square as you talk about how we can best and better confront the civic challenges uh, that we face. Let me go a little further here. Um, To my mind, when you're talking about love in the public square, love in terms of linking it to justice to confront, again, our civic uh, challenges, it seems to me that love can be best defined this way. This is just my take on it, but you're the scholar here. I'm just a lowly talk show host. But it seems to me <laughs> that love is simply this. Love means, in the public sense, that everybody is worthy just because. Hard stop. That everybody yes. is equally worthy just because. Not because of your last name, your pedigree, where you went to school, how many degrees you have, how much money you make, what kind of car you drive. But in the public debate, in the public discourse, everybody is worthy as a fellow citizen just because. If you buy that definition that I want to put on the table here now in our conversation, it means that the way you go about engaging public policy changes. It means then that everybody is worthy of access to an equal high quality education, that everybody ought to have access to universal health care, that everybody, you take my point. I'm only raising that because, again, it came back to my mind, this talk I gave many years ago, but I want to link it back to your book about, you know, this notion of dancing in the darkness and linking love and justice and uh, addressing these civic challenges that we face. But it seems to me we have to have an operational definition, a working definition mm-hmm. of what we mean when we say love in our public discourse. Does any of that make sense to you? Oh, absolutely. I think you are right on target. Uh, the just because, uh, the, on a theological sense, you could say that all have the imprint of, of the divine. Yes. Uh, on, on, a, on a more uh, broader kind of philosophical uh, aspect, uh, you could say that, uh, that, that, that everybody, <clears throat> had, there is a common good that we seek, that we seek human flourishing. Mm-hmm. And everybody is worthy. And if everybody's worthy, if love is in the public discourse, as you say, then we must wrestle with restorative justice. Mm. Because when love is out of the discourse, we can cast aside up to 60 million people who have had some encounter with the criminal justice system and continue to punish them after they have completed their time because we see them as products in the market instead of creations by our creator. Mm. Um, do you think, to your in, in invoking of the term restorative justice, do you think that we as a society will ever be able to to really wrestle with that notion of restorative justice. And I'm asking that because it seems to me if we're wrestling with just doing justice, and I love this quote in the beginning of your book. uh, Let me go to it right quick. Alexander Hamilton uh, once said, and you start your book, your introduction with this, the first duty of society is justice. Mm -hmm. 
the first duty of society is justice. That from Alexander Hamilton. If justice is our first duty and we ain't we ain't mastered that yet, how do we ever get to restorative justice? Well, I think that we then have to rethink the way that our society is structured. That's what Dr. King was talking about. He's saying that the way the American project has been framed, the myth that we're living in is poisonous to our souls. Mm. So we are putting together a poor people's campaign to literally create a beloved community to lift up the ideas that the founders stumbled on. Let me say that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the ideas that they stumbled <laughs> on, not that they... So here they are lifting up eternal ideas, borrowing from the Iroquois nation, and they stumble on the idea that everybody has worth, but they can't practice it, which means this unrealized idea that we are a nation that is struggling to be born, and it's also a high-risk pregnancy at the same time. Mm. Uh, And so we, we have to change the way in which we function and see this nation and black people and i want to say that black people have been at the center of every transformation in this nation Mm. whether it is abolition whether it is reconstruction whether it is the anti-lynching movement the labor movement the 19th amendment the expansion of rights from the 13th 14th to 15th minute that's black folk Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's that's our work Mm -hmm. the 19th amendment is because of the work in connection with white women and Ida B. Wells, and they had seen the work of the abolition movement. And then the labor movement. We were the laborers who understood the idea of the worth of labor in building the country, along with our indigenous brothers and sisters. So when you talk about this America idea, and America developing, and America being, you got to put a whole lot of swag and sauce in the middle to create a gumbo, uh, not a tossed salad, that becomes a true melting pot. That, that's what we have to come to the realization. We are, cre- we are the ones that have been creating this new America, and there are forces that do not want us to create what is about to be birthed. Mm. Brother, you, you, you submerging deep now. I'm trying, I'm, trying, I'm trying to hold on and keep up with you, brother. But that, I, was just <laughs> saying, I was just saying in our last hour that uh, black people, you said it so much more beautifully, but I said last hour, that black people have always been the conscience of this country at our best, at our best. Mm-hmm. We've always been the conscience of this country, sometimes through interposition, sometimes through nullification, sometimes through amendment, oftentimes through protest. We've always been at our best, the conscience of this country. I'm, work- I'm working on a speech now that I'm giving uh, in a few days on the King holiday here. Uh, about black folk as democratizers. That's the point you're making now. Mm. That America mm. America is not a democracy. America is an experiment in democracy. But to the yes. point you've just made now, we have always been the democratizers. That's yes. who we are. And I'm going to talk about that, hopefully, <clears throat> if God help me, in a couple of days uh, on the King holiday at the big SELC dinner here in Southern California. But w- w- while I'm on this at this first at this first chapter in your book, which is called uh, Link Love to Justice, actually, I'm in, in the introduction. I, I mentioned that quote from Alexander Hamilton, and I love quotes. I know many in our audience do, so I want to read two more. So Otis Moss III starts his book with three great quotes, one from Alexander Hamilton. The first duty of society is justice. The second quote, which I love. See how elastic our stiff prejudices become 
when love comes to bend them. That's Herman Melville. See how elastic our stiff prejudices become when love comes to bend them. So that's Hamilton and that's Melville. But you heard Otis Moss third say a moment ago, you can't fade black folk. You can't fade black people. So let me give you some August Wilson. August Wilson puts it this way. Confront the dark parts of yourself and work to banish them with illumination and forgiveness. Your willingness to wrestle with your demons will cause your angels to sing. Lord have mercy. That, that's August Wilson. Confront the dark parts of yourself and work to banish them with illumination and forgiveness. Your willingness to wrestle with your demons will cause your angels to sing. I got 90 seconds before news, traffic, and sports. Say a word to me about that, if you will, Otis Moss III. Well, Wilson is, is our prophet and our sage. And the moment that we make the choice internally uh, to wrestle with the difficult demonic parts of our own mm -hmm. personality and our society, then something also happens externally. This is an inward journey uh, that has outward transformation. And that's what I'm trying to say in the book. Mm. That these the two things are connected to each other. We often want to go outward, hoping that it will change inward. But you got to go inward so that you can change outward. We, if we have a revolution, but we replace it with people who have the same destructive mentalities and anemic spirits, we will end up in the same place just 20 years later. He's not, he's not just trying to say it in the book. He said it, and he said it well. The book is called Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. When we come forward after news, traffic, and sports, we're going to go inside the book, and I'm going to give him a chance to sort of tee up uh, a couple of these chapters. I'm going to give it all to you because I want you to buy the book. Uh, I want you to buy Dancing in the Darkness and have it uh, in, as a part of your library, as I do now, for yourself. There's a lot of rich stuff in this book. But the book starts with Link, Love, and Justice, the first chapter that we talked about earlier. It ends with the final chapter, Dance in the Darkness. But along the way, there's Consecrate Your Chaos, Redirect Your Rage, Beat Bias, Rework Your Origin Story, Practice prophetic grief, pardon our dust. We'll pick a couple of those and let Otis Moss III break it down for you. The book is called Dancing in the Darkness by Otis Moss III, and you're listening to him right now on KBLA. I'm Tavis Smiley. He is Otis Moss III, the brilliant public intellectual and pastor of Chicago's Trinity United Church of Christ, one of the most renowned and beloved spiritual and civil rights leaders. Uh, in our nation is he as was is his father Otis Moss Jr. He's part of a grand legacy and I'm always uh, just humbled delighted to be in conversation with either of them uh, Today is the son Otis Moss the third his book is called dancing in the darkness Spiritual lessons for thriving in turbulent times. I'm going to do what I often don't do because I love you so much Otis Moss the third I'm gonna let you pick uh, One or two or three of these chapters that we're gonna let you just top line you heard me say earlier I've, I've written a few books myself and I don't want to ever give the whole book away because that way we won't sell it uh and i i, I know you're here for two reasons one because you love me but two because you want to sell a book so, uh, and so i want to i want to help you do that well, one because it's a powerful powerful polemic and uh, i highly recommend it this is the first book of the year that i've been able to uh, to recommend uh, this highly and so I, I hope that the audience will run out and get uh, dancing that. in the darkness spiritual lessons for thriving in turbulent times so you know the book because you wrote it uh Let's, I'll let you pick one of these chapters, 
that you want to unpack that uh, ties into what we've already, already been discussing. We talked a bit about a bit about linking love and justice, chapter one. Uh, we we we'll, we'll, we'll hold dance in the darkness for them to read when they get it. Uh, but 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 pick one of these for me that you'd like to unpack a bit, and and we'll we'll jump right in. Okay. Uh, well, one is uh, rework your origin story mm-hmm. to become a spiritual superhero, and especially because I'm a comic book head too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay. The lessons that you can learn from uh, comic characters, along with what is known as looking at the hero's journey, mm-hmm. and so I use. Uh, say, for example, Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead, uh, Storm from uh, from the X-Men. Rick Grimes thought that he was just out to save his family, uh, but uh, finds out that he ends up being a leader specifically trying to uphold civility in humanity. Mm. The Storm, the origin story of Storm, is that here she is, this, this African woman with a gift who was just a thief on the street in, in Africa until so she went to the Serengeti, and found a mentor that says, what are you going to do with the gifts that you have been given? So every hero and villain usually have the same beginning. It's just the choice that they make in using their gifts. Mm. And that becomes the power for us. And so I use the story talking about Dr. King um, in terms of the idea of when he walks out of his house, he looks across and he sees... uh, shotgun houses, but on his side of the street, it's middle class. He walks up the street, and he's able to see a black woman who owns a funeral home who's sharing with him how she was able to take the lid off of her limitation. She keeps on walking and sees the Atlanta Daily World, which was the only newspaper, black newspaper, that was being published every day, sharing stories of lynching, but also the power of HBCUs. He then stops by Wheat Street Baptist Church, and here's William Holmes Borders, who stands six feet four inches, and begins to preach a sermon entitled, I Am Somebody. I am a poet in Langston Hughes. I'm a pilot in Bessie, Str- in Bessie Strong. Uh, I am an intellectual mm. in W.E.B. Du Bois. He's hearing this at the age of 12. Mm. And William Holmes Borders, it should be noted, was also the person who played Jesus in the Atlanta City Passion Play. So Dr. King grew up with an image of a black Six foot four Jesus with a deep baritone voice. Mm. So he, <laughs> so <laughs> his view was this: well, just in his neighborhood, he then gets on a trolley that says you have to sit in the back. But I like the way my dad says it. He says because he had been walking past so much somebodyness. His body was in the back, but his mind was in the front. Hello, and hello. His, <laughs> and then he travels to Morehouse College and sits under the teaching of Dr. Benjamin Elijah Mays. His origin story is not that he went to white uh, institution. His origin story is that black spirituality and power developed this man who becomes a transformative spiritual superhero in our community. And all of us have a choice of reworking our origin story. Don't let the victimizer determine your destiny. You Mm -hmm. have a choice. Rewrite your story. I'm telling y'all, this book is rich. It's rich. It's rich. It's rich. It's called Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. Since you went there, um, my mind kind of went to uh, one of my favorite parables in the Bible. I I love these, these didactic narratives, these parables. 
uh, that Jesus often would tell when, when asked questions rather than just answer. He, 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 he shared stories. You well know you preach this stuff every Sunday, so you know it better than I do. But my, but my mind, uh, Otis Moss III, went to the parable of the talents. I went to the parable of the mm. talents. And I went there as you were talking about these gifts that each of us have mm -hmm. inside of us. Each of us is born with talent. We are born with gifts. Uh, and you, you, you went past that to tell the story, and I'm glad you did. I didn't want to interrupt. But I want to come back to the beginning of that story now and ask you what you would say to those of us who are listening here at the beginning of the year. I'm not sure that New Year's resolutions work. Les Brown told our audience yesterday it ain't about a New Year's resolution but a New Year evolution. That was Les Brown yesterday. Mm. Um, but, uh, but I'm wondering what you would say to me and to those who are listening about how we discover the gifts the God-given gifts that are already resident inside of us when we enter the world? Well, finding your passion, finding what uh, you will do, whether or not you are paid for it, mm -hmm. uh, whether you know someone is going to uh, just say, go over in the corner and do it. Uh, if you shouldn't preach in order to have an audience, order to... Uh, to have a church, it should be something so deeply in you, you have to do it. I actually heard Maynard Jackson say this. He says, I was called to preach, but it was a whisper, and I found out that God was whispering me into the mayoral's office, mm -hmm. and that was my call. Mm -hmm. And when I found out that that was my call, I could do it with such power and grace. And do not compare your talents to someone else. Mm. Use what you got because your voice is made at a frequency to be able to reach a particular community of people. Whether you are on um, the talk radio show in L.A. or whether you are on the talk radio show in Gulfport, you have been tuned in a particular way to communicate. And if you try to be somebody else, and I'm from the hip-hop era where we made tapes and copies and whatnot, mixed tapes. Mm -hmm. And always know that copies are always inferior to the original. Mm. And God's not calling anybody. He's calling you to be you. You know, we need to stop all this trying to be someone else and just call to be. And in that tapestry, something unique will be created on the canvas of our democracy. No, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. Too many copies in the world. Not enough originals. Might as well be. Somebody said you might as well be yourself. Everybody else is already taken anyway, right? <laughs> you might well, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you might as well just be yourself. Everybody else <laughs> is already taken. When we come forward, I let him choose one. I'm going to choose one uh, before we wrap this conversation. And the one I want to choose, the chapter uh, in the book, and all this. It's an amazing text. Again, it's called Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times by our guest in this hour. The book just dropped yesterday. He put us first on his list. Uh, Otis Moss III, the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III, is the author of the text. But the chapter that just spoke to me, as a matter of fact, I ain't going to lie, Otis Moss uh, III, I, I read it out of order. I, I, I shouldn't have, but I confess. I, I jumped ahead because I could, I could see it. It was, it was calling my name. It's chapter seven, pardon our dust, meet failings with grace. You mentioned grace earlier, pardon our dust, meet failings with grace. And we'll get uh, uh, the author of this book, Otis Monster III, to say uh, a word about that. When we come forward, you're listening to Otis Monster III on KBLA Talk 1580. 
unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. It does indeed as we talk about the new book, Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. The author of that book is Chicago's Otis Moss III, where he pastors uh, the Trinity United Church of Christ. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago, Otis Moss III, that uh, I read it out of order, I confess, but it, it, it was, when I opened the book, it just started pulling at me. First of all, I read Michael Eric Dyson's brilliant introduction. That Negro is something else, man. Uh, <laughs> you you obviously know Dyson. I know Dyson, and I was not surprised. But let me just say to you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to text him today and tell him that that introduction, that forward rather, is something else, man. I, I, I'm, I don't know what you thought about it, but that forward by Dyson just uh, sort of jumped out at me. But when I got past that and started reading the book, uh, something was just pulling me. Uh, to chapter seven, pardon our dust, meet failings with grace. Can you say something about that chapter? You know, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that chapter, uh, though I changed some of the names, I, I, you know, it's a collection of stories. The mm-hmm, book is mm-hmm. is is very near and dear to me because it's it, it is a true story about one of our young people. And I had to change, you know, change some of the names sure, and whatnot, sure. uh, and around that, but the experience of dealing with a young person who was almost, their, their life was almost thrown away because of the zero tolerance policy of the Chicago public school system. Because this young lady became enamored with a young man, Louis, and, you know, she had some with her. And, and as a result, the school said, we're going to expel you, but not just expel you from the school. We're going to expel you from the system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she couldn't mm-hmm. go to school anywhere. Mm-hmm. So our church had to come together to to support her. But the tragedy was, as we had people from our church to literally stand with her and her family, we were all these other young men who had no one in that hallway as they were waiting for their hearing before uh, the CPS review board. And it broke my heart. And I was watching the prison uh, pipeline in action. All these young men would be expelled from CPS. All these young men just didn't have someone fighting for them. All these young men would be put into the grinder of a system, all because we didn't have any grace in the system. And it's not saying they don't have accountability, Mm -hmm. but it is saying that we recognize that your moment does not define who you are. And I'm grateful for grace because if the moments that I was involved in as a young person Mm. were then lifted up as the totality of who I am, there is no way that I could be writing this book now because I would be cast aside in some way. And I think that that is the piece. When we put these values back into place, and learn how to pardon our dust. God has pardoned our dust. And what annoys me about churchy folk, mm. um, and I have to put it that way, churchy folk, is that we have difficulty with restorative justice. Here we are, we lift up this, this brother named Jesus, who was executed by the state, who was incarcerated, and had a public defender that couldn't even defend him. But yet we don't want to talk about the idea of restoration. Mm. We lift up Paul who was incarcerated, but don't want to talk about the idea of incarceration. We lift up Moses, who was, we know he murdered somebody, but yet God said, you know, I still can use that brother right there. Mm. Uh, So God can pardon our dust, 
but we as human beings cannot see that we are more than our moments, that we are we have an entire tapestry of possibility. And I and I really that that story of and I use the term Terry, and I want to say this to everybody who's listening: Terry is doing exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, beyond and and has a heart for people who've been dusty. Mm. And is doing doing the kind of work now, a business where she is, quote unquote, helping dusty people, returning citizens, because she recognized that she was on the edge of being cast aside. Um, Two things came to mind while you were talking. Um, uh, One of my heroes, uh, Brian Stevenson, who you know well, Mm. uh, Brian puts it this way. None of us are our worst acts. None of us. Yes. Are our worst yeah. deed, and uh, I, I found myself in conversation the other day with somebody like you, and I was saying to them, they were complaining, I don't deserve this, I don't deserve this, and I said, brother, uh, you might not, but if you got what you truly deserved, <laughs> if, if I got mm. what I truly deserved, we wouldn't be in this conversation right now, because we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Uh, so thankfully, none of us are our worst acts, we are not our worst mm-hmm. deeds, and I loved, loved, loved that chapter. Pardon our dust, meet failings with grace. When we come forward, our remaining moments with the author of Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times, the brilliant Otis Moss III. Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III, I want to close our conversation uh, in this regard. uh, I was just thinking during that break that we have talked in this hour as we have dissected your book, your brand new book, Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. We have talked about dancing we've talked about linking we've talked about reworking we've talked about pardoning and i want to close in the last uh, three minutes we have here uh, talking about resisting Uh, because so much of this has to do and you unpack this in the text uh, practicing spiritual resistance i think of sonia sanchez was a powerful poem and she just that word just comes out so beautifully over and over and over again in this poem. Resist, resist, resist. Talk to me as we close here about practicing spiritual resistance to those things that we don't want anywhere near us. Otis Monster Third, can you hear me? Did you hit your mute button? Maybe there's a mute button pressed somewhere. Oh, oh there we go. Yes, there you go. I'm now sorry. I got you. I was in there talking. Now <laughs> I got you. Now I got you, brother. Yeah. So, so. Resistance is a key virtue in the black spiritual tradition. We, as people of African descent, had made the choice to resist because we, one, recognize that uh, we are children of God and that the oppressor does not define us. I said this past uh, Sunday for New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. I said that everyone must find their Boudini and reclaim their Douglas. Mm. Those who don't know who Boudini is, Drew Boudini, not Houdini, but Boudini. We all need to find a corner person who will remind us uh, that we are, in the word for Cassius Clay, the greatest, or mm-hmm. that you float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Mm-hmm. Or Frederick Douglass, who claimed his spirituality and humanity when he said that there was a mistake that uh, the oppressor made. When he learned how to read and read what was in the Bible for himself, he said, I know you're lying, and I'm a child of God. And so we've got to reclaim and find in order to resist, meaning that you need a corner person, and you've got to make a choice. 
that in spite of all that is around us, uh, there is something in us that allows us to rise above the destructive moments that we encounter. Resistance. Do all you can in your place and in your time and pass the baton to the next generation so that they may do what they can do in their place and in their time. And over the course of time, we can look back and witness what has been created, and we can see that there's been some holes punched in the darkness in the process. The book is called Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. With a forward by Michael Eric Dyson, the book is authored by Otis Moss III. Uh, uh, you do it to me every time, man. Every time you come on, brother, you, you leave me just, <laughs> I walk out of here just completely uh, intellectually worn out. Uh, but I'm, 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 I'm so high, I'm so high, I can levitate out of this studio, man. So thank you uh, for the conversation. All the best to you this year. Uh, and uh, I will thank talk you. to you somewhere down the road, my friend. Stay strong. Yes, indeed. Thank you, sir. And my father told me to tell you, tell that young man, I said hello. <laughs> you got that voice down. You got him down, man. You got it down. Love you, Doc. I'll talk to you soon, man. Uh, thank you, sir. That is our show for today. Thanks for tuning in. Time to make now room for the KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by a head of the crypto curve with Najee Roberts. Old money, new money, it don't matter. Even in 2023, we still got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for tuning in. Lord willing, back tomorrow morning to do it all over again. Until then, and as always, keep the faith. <laughs>